0: With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Interviews, news, and views. You're listening to State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT
1: Radio. Rolling into the second hour of State of the Nation live right here on today's News Talk, TNT. Visit us on the web. TNTradio.live is the website. Get on over there. Join that interactive live chat room. Check out our What's on Events calendar. Notice we've got the live video feed right there on the front page also, as well as video and audio archives. So all of that stuff is available up at the amazing website of today's news talk i'm brian McLean reporting live out of central texas very blustery day here chilly and blustery but i cannot complain because it looks a lot colder in other parts of the state and uh, i'm here with steve hook out of central new jersey steve i understand it's uh getting a little cold out there as well
2: well you know the thing is is it, it it's a little chilly but it's getting wet and windy and it's actually supposed to warm up to the low 50s um On the shore, you know, it's kind of weird. It it depends on how the storm tracks, but this is such a huge storm. I know you guys were dealing with it in central Texas. It's finally making its way east and headed up the eastern seaboard, and we're going to get a lot of wind and a lot of rain. And if we were northwest of here, we'd be getting a lot of snow. But thankfully, I'm not. Uh, so, (laughs) So that's where it stands right now. Yeah. All right. Well, I had
1: to bring this one up, you know, because there's a big, big decision coming up at the Supreme Court. A lot of big decisions been uh, in the Supreme Court over the last year or so here. So we keep a good eye on it here. Um, Check out this headline, Steve. This is out of dreaded CNBC, so forgive me. Uh, Supreme Court rejects appeal by Elon Musk's ex on disclosing federal surveillance. Isn't this interesting? So the Supreme Court on Monday refused to hear an appeal by the social media giant challenging a ban on the company disclosing the number of times federal authorities sought surveillance of Americans. Um, X, formerly known as Twitter, had argued that the federal government's prohibition on the company disclosing the exact number of receipts of national security-related questions for surveillance of the users there. X's lawsuit had sought the right to publicly reveal the exact number of times in a six-month period it received national security orders requesting information about users now i'm not a judge or a lawyer steve so maybe the supreme court made the appropriate decision here i don't know it sure seems un-american to me though to to tell a company a private company note a private company remember all the times they used to tell us oh it's a private company it can do whatever it wants that's a private company oh facebook shut you down google demonetized you deranked you uh well it's a private company they can do whatever they want well if they're private companies that can do whatever they want uh why is the supreme court rejecting this appeal uh the owner of x simply wants to reveal to users uh, the number of times that the federal government has come in and said, hey, we'd like to read this person's direct messages. And that's what this comes down to, Steve. Your direct messages are not secure, and the Supreme Court has no interest in um, allowing this company to tell you how many times your uh, your First and Fourth Amendment have been violated by uh, by the government. Isn't that interesting?
2: Yeah, well, it reminds me of the old adage, you know, yeah, it's easier to uh to beg forgiveness than ask permission. Maybe Elon should have just blown that up online and said, "Oh, by the way, here's all the info. Uh you Mr. uh Jones, you've been uh you know they requested your info uh 50 times since uh since uh, January 6th of 2021, whatever." Um but you know, he didn't. He did the right thing. He said, "Listen, let's let's litigate this. Let's go. Let's make sure that we can get all this uh information out there, probably thinking that the court would say, yes, of course you have the right to do that. After all, to your point, Ash, they're a private company. Uh, but that's not the way it works these days. Um, if there was, you know, and I don't know what the, I'm with you. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a judge. I, I, you know, I guess national security interests, I don't know, but I do know that, um, when you start seeing every three letter agency weaponizing, uh, a different facet of control that they have access to, it starts to make you wonder if we're still living in the same country we were back in, uh, you know, the the Reagan days or even the Bush days for that matter. Um, yeah, it's very bizarre, man. Very very bizarre.
1: Yes, indeed. So uh, doing our best to keep an eye on that one, as that's an important freedom of speech issue right there. And it underlines everything we learned in the Twitter files and uh, everything that can be learned at, I don't know, uh, great Twitter accounts like Name Redacted who track this sort of thing. Um, And real quickly here, uh, (laughs) this is pretty funny, Steve. Uh, This is out of the New York Post. There's a uh, editorial up there by the board saying Democrats migrant crisis solution. Is blame the messengers isn't this interesting also the city's migrant crisis has become a specter that demagogues can use as the threat du jour says City Councilman Justin Brannan he said quote it used to be defund the police or bail reform now this is a new thing they can divide and conquer on so <laughs> so Brennan he's a, a Democrat out of uh, what, Brooklyn I believe offered up his uh, wisdom in this Politico piece um, for he and he's blaming mayor Adams for the quote ceaseless dire messaging which is threatening Democrats in a pivotal election year so uh the bottom line stop talking about the border you're making Democrats look bad
2: <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's not the policy that makes them look bad it, it, it's it's not it's not people getting stabbed at various uh locations housing down uh these no, immigrants that makes them look talking bad. about that's it. not it that's not it. It's talking about it. it. it it's shining a light on it. How dare you do that uh Eric Adams? And believe me, I am I carry no water for that man. The guy's an absolute moron from what I can tell. Uh, but he is having to deal with it. and that's why we were talking about it in the first hour how him and the mayor of Chicago are basically trying to throw the race card on this, which of course, I would say it's always their last resort, but if we're honest, It's always their first resort, Uh, first, second, (laughs) third, and every other resort is to throw the race card at it. And that's what they're doing here. And this guy's just sick and tired of hearing about it. Uh, This uh, Brendan fella or whatever, whatever you said his name was. Um, Look, you'd have to be living uh, in a cave not to know that the entire country is on pins and needles for what may happen due to our southern border being wide open. We know what's happened with regards to fentanyl deaths. We know what's happened with regard to sex trafficking and all that. But uh, to shut up about it that's not likely to happen.
1: No, no, a little late for that one. All right, for all the latest community events, rallies, marches, festivals, and fundraisers happening near you, then visit our What's On Events calendar on the TNT website, tntradio.live. Stay in touch on TNT.
2: Giving you what you want. I want
0: the fact. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
1: Well, the president of Mexico... Uh, president oberdor recently revealed that the united states uh what they must do in exchange for the mexican government helping slow down the flow of migrants crossing the u.s mexico border and the list of demands is rather ambitious to say the least here with the story joining us once again is tnt news producer adam clark aka ruckus so ruckus uh what do we got here what's on the list uh, what's on the wish list for oberdor
3: this is crazy. I mean, we, this is this is the world we live in. This is reality. This is the the state of this nation, sadly, because uh, the president, who happens to be the least popular president in United States history at this point. No, thanks in uh, I mean, thanks largely to the border crisis, which he created this crisis. And now he's got to go to the other country who shares our southern border and beg for help. Uh, yeah, he's literally gone virtually at least, hat in hand to the Mexican president, one Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, affectionately known as AMLO. Uh, He's pleading with the Mexican president to help stop the ever-growing surge of illegal aliens from reaching the border. Uh, And, you know, AMLO's willing to help, but he's got a few requests. He's got a long list of requests. This is pretty wild. So according to Fox News Digital, who reported this, uh, I guess Lopez Obrador Amlo announced his demands during a press conference on Friday. Funny how we're just starting to hear about this, right? Uh, This development comes just a week after the Mexican president met with none other than Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and Secretary of State Antony Blinken in Mexico City. In order for Mexico to help the United States, Lopez Obrador has demanded that the United States provides... 20 billion dollars to the country uh well not necessarily to the country but to latin american and caribbean countries plural that's right uh, also that's not all that's not all you want help you also must provide work visas to a small number of hispanics who've been working in the united states for at least 10 years and by small number i mean 10 million that's right 10 million Hispanics must be given work visas uh, and 20 billion smackeroonies. And uh, oh, yeah, there's one other thing. Uh, You need to put an end to the blockade of Cuba. Yeah, you know, take your time thinking about it. But if you want help, (laughs) that's what you got to do. The demands have put pressure on President Biden, who has not polled well, as I mentioned, uh, on illegal immigration since he took over the presidency. And by took over, we mean took over. Uh, Back in 2021, the report noted that the border experienced a large surge of migrants this fall with around 240,000 encounters per month toward the end of 2023. Uh, If you're uh, slow on your math, that's almost a quarter of a million people every month. That's wild. Uh, However... Some of the decisions, uh, if Biden decides to go through with this proposal, as it were, uh, of course, would need to get approval from Congress. Uh, Probably not likely to happen. Uh, Lopez Obrador has not been shy about challenging the United States and their politicians on the topic of illegal immigration. Uh, AMLO recently challenged Texas Governor Greg Abbott on one of the state's new immigration laws just last month. I think I reported it right here on this network. Um, So, yeah, this is where we're at people. uh, We have the country south of us making demands to the tune of $20 billion, 10 million visas. And, you know, hey, change your foreign policy about this communist country over here. uh, If you want any help, what do you think?
2: (laughs) I'm wondering, I'm wondering if AMLO's son was there on the phone saying, I'm sitting with my father and we're wondering where the 20 million dollars is i mean it's just so absurd you know th- th- there's people all over the all over the world that question why americans are fixated on trump let me nutshell that for you real quick if this were trump he would hand this pres this mexican president his ass on a platter and say look here you're going to seal that border we're going back to remain in mexico or we're going to just bury you in debt we're gonna, and by the way, we're also coming after your cartels. That's what Trump would do, and frankly, that's what any real leader would do. But they've learned from Biden. You can shake down foreign governments if you try hard enough. That's what Biden has done his entire political career, and it looks like uh, Obador has, has picked up on that lesson. And now they're turning it on Biden. It's just, it's disgraceful. And once again, Hash is what you said earlier. We are an international laughingstock because of this. Uh, complete lack of leadership what's your take on it
1: yeah uh well one quick correction there it was billion with a b not million oh, billion just yeah, kinda, you're right just, just just throw a couple three more zeros at it or whatever you know just just so we're clear here <laughs> billions of dollars <laughs> providing work visas to millions 10 with 10 million uh latin americans there and end the blockade of cuba that's pretty amazing so uh, yeah how does the cartel play into this it's my understanding that the cartel has uh, quite the foothold in the government there i mean this sounds kind of like uh, cartel demands almost doesn't it kind of makes you wonder if it might not be a cover for cartel demands to actually be met by the american government uh, and if, you know, if I'm just wargaming here a little bit, a little, you know, asking for a friend, but uh, where does that $20 billion actually go? And if we give it to them, I <laughs> can't even believe I'm saying this, if if we were to give it to them, uh, are we going to get any sort of audit on that? Because experience leads me to think that, no, we would not get an audit on that because we gave $100 billion and more to the little green man in Ukraine, who has now uh, lost over 600,000 Ukrainians in that war. And we don't know exactly where all that money went. Our own Pentagon told us that approximately 70 percent of the weapons that get sent over there, quote, disappear into a black hole end quote so yeah um maybe we should pump the brakes on this idea of just handing out tens and hundreds of billions to foreign nations uh, that say hey we're just busy doing democracy just like you guys it would really help if you gave us 100 billion war dollars or i don't know some of that imf money sounds great i mean i don't know ruckus uh <laughs> if, anything else on this one
3: Uh, There was one other demand that I forgot to report on. And I guess uh, Amla would also like to see the United States remove all sanctions against yet another country, Venezuela. So this is uh, getting to be quite
1: a tall order indeed. Wow. Good God. Oh, boy stupid solutions yeah. and stupid prizes right there all right thank you ruckus this is state of the nation on today's news talk tnt tnt radios hervoy
4: morich approximately six hundred and fifty thousand ukrainian men aged 18 to 60 have left ukraine for europe since the start of the war it's a tough spot if your country is being invaded uh but that's one thing and you're a, a male and a citizen um but you know if the war if it's a globalist war i wouldn't want to participate in these
0: banker globalist wars and most of them just uh, are pervoyemorage on today's news talk radio TNT. radio
5: works because of its ability to personalize to the listener what's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it
4: You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars, it's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere.
0: To find out more, go to tntradio.live.
6: The human mind is like a computer. No matter how efficient it may be, its reliability is only as great as the information fed into it. That's a campaign
0: promise. Tell us the truth. The truth. We mandate that the truth be told. You're hearing
1: it. TNT. All right. Our next guest joining us very shortly here Mr. David Dodd is the chairman, president, and CEO of Geovax, which is currently working on a vaccine for the coronavirus. His executive management experience in pharmaceutical and biotechnology industries spans more than 40 years, so he is a subject matter expert in this. And, you know, I've been searching and uh, doom-scrolling my social medias as I normally do, and I'm starting to see an uptick in hospital workers and the like, uh, patients in hospitals talking about um, a rise in flu cases right now. And... Uh, you know, uh, Mister 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 Dodd, uh, thank you for joining us. I gotta tell you right off the bat, um, <laughs> uh, you, personally, normally, uh, you know, I come in and I just want to hear from the guests, but I think I'm gonna give you the leg up here and just let you know that um, that I have been injured by vaccines before, and my co-host here has suffered. Um, side effects from uh some of these covid jabs in the past and our viewers and listeners are also tend to be a little bit skeptical about this topic so uh, you know just so you know the the context here of who you're dealing with i thought i'd throw that one your way but give us your take on what's going on and tell us how what you're working on is different from some of these mrna technologies that we've seen such dreadful results from
6: Certainly. And, and uh, how you outlined your your own personal feelings and your colleagues, et cetera, is not unusual. We all know that. In, in fact, if you look at the, the general population, uh, you're seeing that less than 20% of people are willing to continue to get vaccinated for different reasons now. And, and indeed, there are, there are instances where people have indicated, you know, certain side effects from the vaccines that they've had to deal with. and and those aren't made up i mean obviously they have occurred and so it's first of all i always stress to people all of us should be skeptical when it comes to our personal and our families health care we should ask questions we should push back you know from the physicians i mean yes they they, they're better at understanding that area of, of medical health but that doesn't mean they can't be challenged to to provide us a better understanding. So I I would look at it that way. I I do think also you you, you touch on a very important uh, issue in my opinion and and again I have a parochial standpoint here because we have a vaccine that is known as a next generation COVID-19 vaccine and I'll explain what that means and why it's important to distinguish that and it's currently in clinical development. In fact it's in three uh, clinical trials of you know people testing and they're called phase two. You know, The development process is phase one is usually a a, a program where you're doing normally healthy volunteers you want to make sure something is safe and you're trying to get enough data to then uh, go forward with it. phase two is where you now got pretty much defined you have your product you're trying to demonstrate a level of efficacy as well as safety in certain targeted specific populations and typically phase three is where you do the final studies that that allow you if it's successful to be able to register the product and be able to sell and and, you know commercialize and distribute it. So we have three products with our vaccine which is in phase two clinical trials. That means it's been shown so far to be very safe and I'll distinguish on it because when I say next generation I'm talking about vaccines that will be much more durable than what the mRNA vaccines have shown to be. If you recall when we first heard about these vaccines they were all quote 95% effective they'll be good for a year and reality is that maybe at best they're 40% effective and they last maybe two to four months that's why you keep hearing people got to go back got to go back and every time there is a new variant that emerges or what is known as a variant of concern what we end up uh, learning is, oh, we have to reconfigure it because now we're dealing with the Delta, or we're dealing with the Omicron, or Omicron XBB 1.5, or even now what we're hearing is the JN1. So what we have is a vaccine that is is being referred to as variant agnostic. First of all, it's predicated or built upon a technology that has been around since the 1960s. It's already an authorized vaccines. In fact, the vaccine that is authorized for preventing smallpox and monkeypox is the basis of what we use as our actual platform. Most platforms from a vaccine standpoint do nothing. mRNA does nothing until you insert certain antigens that relate to the pathogen, COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2. But ours is actually a vaccine in and of itself, meaning that, that it's been shown to be safe. We actually received Uh, exclusion from having to do certain animal safety tests that all vaccines have to have in development because it is based on a technology that is so well accepted around the world for its safety. It was actually developed specifically for people with the weakest immune systems so that it would be exquisitely safe. So that's what we use as the basis. The other thing we do that is very different is you've heard the throw around the phrase spike protein a lot talking about COVID-19 and that is the part of the virus that is utilized to induce a very strong antibody response and, the, and antibody response are your first line of defense for, for against infection however there's another side of the immune system called the T cell system or cellular immunity and what's been been shown in, in every, it is very well, well it is it, it is exceptionalization and risk of death specifically when talking about covid-19 Our uh, our vaccine is constructed to not only address the spike protein but it also addresses another part or another antigen or protein if you want to call it that of the virus and that's called the nucleocapsid or let's just say the N protein. What's important about that is the N protein has been very well documented that it is conserved meaning it does not get changed by a virus attacking it across all coronaviruses and by including both both antigens or both proteins into a single vaccine, what we do is we induce the very strong antibody response, which is what you see with the mRNA, but we also uh, generate a very strong T-cell response. And that's what drives durability and what they call a memory, immune uh, immune memory, so that your body remembers and will respond to stuff. And the and the, the value of doing that is not only do you get a much more durable vaccine, in the clinic right now we're seeing six to eight months durability and that's versus two to four for mRNA. So it gives you a longer acting but also a broader immune response which gives you what is known as we refer to as a more robust response. This becomes critically important for people who have weak immune systems. So let's think about it. United States, there are 15 million individuals who may have blood cancers, they may have sickle cell anemia, they may be HIV positive, they may have received a transplant so they have they have a weak immune system or their own drugs that that hold back their ability to produce antibody responses. So you've got, they, they may uh, be, uh, they may have lupus for instance, certain autoimmune disease. About 15 million in the United States, 240 plus worldwide. Our vaccine is being developed specifically to target for those populations because they represent people for whom the current vaccines as well as the monoclonal antibody therapies are inadequate. They have nothing for them today. They're at high risk of from a health risk, produce or mimic what an mRNA does because first of all, we think it's insufficient. What we are trying to do is to address those populations for whom the current vaccines are inadequate and also provide our vaccine as a much better booster that would be administered to healthy people who generally had an mRNA, but now if they get our vaccine as a booster instead, it'll they'll, they'll reduce the amount of number of boosters they'll have to have because we give a much longer or more durable type of immune response and it holds up. And we recently published in, in a peer-reviewed journal called Vaccines, it was in September of this past year, we demonstrated that our vaccine provides protective immunity from the original Wuhan strain, they refer to as the ancestral strain of COVID-19, all the way through the Delta and the Omicron, and through the uh, Omicron XBB 1.5, which was the scourge we were all worried about through August, and we'll soon be uh, testing it against the new JN1, which is the one you're hearing about the news now. So we believe that what we've done is taking us longer to get here. We're a small company. Mr. Dodd, if you,
1: you, no, no, that's okay. I appreciate the background there. We have a headline we're going to take, and when we come back, we'll pick up right where we left off and let you finish what you're saying here about your product. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk.
4: Uh, Here's some more potentially bad news.
0: TNT Radio News.
6: For TNT, this is James O'Neill. In a recent court filing, Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis and Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade are embroiled in controversy over allegations of an improper relationship and financial benefits arising from the prosecution of former President Donald Trump. A U.S. fugitive known as Nicholas Rossi, who is accused of faking his own death and fleeing the country to avoid rape charges, is in a Utah jail. After he was extradited from Scotland last week, jail records showed on Monday.
0: Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio.
1: All right, CEO of Geovax, David Dodd is our guest. Now, David, um, when you go, when you start talking about all these variants, all you know all i hear is bs 24/7 it's my understanding number 1 that pcr and lateral flow testing are not diagnostics for whether someone has a particular respiratory disease or not and it's also my understanding that this these these variants are computer models they're basically simulated simulative computer models that that go with these test results so with the abysmal um false negatives and false positives that these PCR tests have. And with the fact that there were basically no cases of the flu or the cold in 2020 or 2021, everything seems to have been parlayed into this giant COVID bucket. I mean, what, what do you say to a skeptic like myself, who's looking at all these variants and saying, I don't trust these variants. I don't, I don't even know if I trust immunology and virology anymore, because a lot of people are thinking that at this point.
6: I, I would I would make a couple of comments. One, the, the variants are real because the virus, like all viruses, continues to mutate unless you kill it off and it never exists again. And And we went into this in tw- early 2020, our approach was we expected our basic assumption was that the virus, whatever it was, at that time we didn’t call it COVID-19, was going to evolve because that's what they do. And viruses are, are smart. They learned how to become evasive to what is currently sort of uh, holding them at bay or you know, holding them you know stopping them. And so uh, variants do indeed biologically evolve. What is important though, is is how do you uh, address that ongoing evolution of them and can you can you develop a vaccine, that encompasses a variant before it even emerges. In other words, being variant agnostic. That has been, that was our focus and our, our, our approach from the, from the very beginning. It appears at least thus far, I don't know if you can do a universal, let's call it coronavirus vaccine. We have some we have in animal testing that are showing that's what they are. The current one we have is what we see in the clinic the closest to having it because we have we've taken our serum samples from individuals that have been vaccinated in our with our vaccine and we have tested all the different variants that you know through pseudovirus type testing and basically taken examples and it shows protective immunity. So I think you know one can do that. Now the idea that the point you make. I actually share and I have to be cautious because I, you know, I, I receive government funding and all you know, the company does. And it, it is, it it is simply makes no sense that there was no flu during 2020. And I repeatedly, I uh, used to raise that as a question. I can't believe that there's no flu this year. It's everybody's in this pandemic. But remember that what was also being done is that there were financial incentives to, to medical institutions to diagnose as COVID. If someone went into a hospital and, and they had had a heart attack and they died, but they also tested positive COVID, it was, f- it was economically um, motivated to then classify that as a COVID death. And, David, and let, so- me, let me
2: chime in here, if I might, because I, I've kind of been sitting on the sidelines. Uh, I just want to, you know, first of all, I understand, we understand that your particular vaccine is genuinely a vaccine. It's not MRNA, yeah. but I, I, I'll, I'll drop a name here that we've all heard before. Uh, Howard Stern. Howard Stern has gotten, this guy has lived the covid covidian lifestyle for the better part of 4 years now he is readily admitting on his program that he has not gone out in public for over 3 years he stays locked in his uh in, in his uh, in his uh mega mansion down in west palm uh he's gotten every single booster so by my count he's gotten over 8 jabs right now last week he missed an entire week of broadcasting because he has covid uh the point is is that People have, uh, barely or not, have lost utter trust, complete trust uh, in the CDC, in the National Institutes of Health, uh, in, in, in uh, the World uh, Health Organization. They've lost trust. It's gone. And uh, to say, well, you know, we're going to get trust back with this vaccine when it's the vaccines they don't trust and the manufacturers, how do you overcome that complete skepticism and lack of trust in the public given that you have people that have gotten every possible jab recommended and yet they still come down with COVID.
6: Exactly right. They also, a big driver is the, the loss of trust and the lack of trust today in our public health system and the officials. And and, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't trust them, but that that is been the result of what we all have gone through and and why people simply will ignore when they're told you need to get another vaccine. I was just told this last Friday, you know, shouldn't you be getting another booster? I said, not until it's my company's vaccine. I said, I'm sorry, I, I'm not going to. Um, I, I think, you know, this this has far-reaching consequences. It's, it's not just political because they're well-intended individuals, but I think that when we look back The whole process from the public health communication, the system, the education, the guidance, and sort of the manner in which it was done has resulted in this tremendous uh, lack of trust that exists today in, in many different quarters for many different reasons. You know, I can't focus. I'm not a physician. I'm not a scientist. But I've been around so many years. I always say even a rock grows moss in a millennium, you know, that type of thing. So you pick up some... But the aspect of individuals such as Howard Stern, I have I have had direct you know, interactions with people who are still masked and have been sequestered since the beginning of 2020 because they have these uh, compromised immune systems. I mean, they have chronic lymphocytic leukemia. They cannot uh, go out because there's been nothing to help them. The current vaccines are, are a waste of time for them. And that's why we're doing a clinical trial among those patients right now. We're hoping to demonstrate that we can provide a vaccine that will be much longer-lasting. In my view, what has been referred to as the vaccines that are authorized, the mRNA, are really immunotherapies because you, you get them. And I, I was recently having breakfast with one of the uh, major leaders in, in the world in the public health. We were at a conference together and just happened to, uh, to uh, decide to have breakfast together. And, and he certainly is a far smarter, more experienced and public health individual than, than I would ever be. But he commented to me, he has had seven seven vaccine, vaccinations and he even commented to me, which he would never do I'm sure in a public forum, that these are not really vaccines. These are nothing more than immunotherapies to, to work for right now. And what we really need are true vaccines. And what we're hoping to demonstrate is what we're working on and having the clinic is going to be more of what we all expect from a true vaccine is one it's going to be durable, it's going to be broader base and especially able to address these populations you know for whom uh, current vaccines as well as therapies simply are not working. So I, I don't have the solution of how we regain public trust. I mean we all grew up most of us you know in an era where we really believed that there was a public health system it always had our interests. There was no politics involved. Maybe we were naive and that was just, you know, having having grown up in the 50s and the 60s, that's the way we were. And then we began to be critical of stuff in, in the 60s. But basically, I think that, that what we have to do is to be able to bring forward alternatives. Now, in April of this past year, there was announced out of the White House, and we all have our, you know, our own political feelings of, of, of parties and people and all, but they uh, they announced an initiative to try and find a more durable and better set of vaccines uh, against COVID-19. And they call that Project NextGen. And that was all looking for uh, vaccines that would be more durable, that would be more robust in terms of how they responded and all. And we feel that our vaccine fits, you know, fits that criteria uh, perfectly. Obviously, we feel that way. Uh, but we, uh, we uh, are part of the, the of, of that whole initiative and that discussion. Uh, we have not been uh, funded as yet by the federal government. There's still $3 billion to be uh, awarded. That'll be in the early part of this year to be completed. They've, they've done $2 billion thus far. We hope to be part of that. We certainly are engaged in in continued discussions. I've personally been in the White House discussing what we're doing. A colleague of mine that works with me has been in the White House, the same type of thing. So we are presenting all of our data, everything we're doing. And what our goal, certainly from a company development standpoint, would be that that we become a participant and be awarded funding Mm -hmm. for the program, which will enable us... To go forward at a more accelerated pace in our clinical development. Okay, okay, Mr.
1: Mr. Dodd, Mr. Dodd, I have to break in here. We're we are just about out of time. We have to get our next guest on. But uh, if I may um, make a request: if if you're having discussions like these at that level, um, would you please um, look into the fact that, um, or make it known in your circles that the American public is hip to. Peer reviewed science, we know how that works. And we're also hip to um, uh, vaccine companies and pharmaceutical companies rating the efficacy of their products using relative efficacy instead of absolute efficacy, uh, because that is a massive scam that is happening under the hood in this industry. And you sound like a good person. Who's not using those types of shady practices? And uh, you know, I know this is maybe somewhat of a confrontational conversation, but I don't mean it to be. I'm actually very interested in what you're doing, and I hope that you'll come back and talk to us about this again because you're you're uh, working at a level that most of us uh, don't get to experience here. So uh, I want to thank you for your time. Where can people follow your work?
6: Well, they can always wear www.geovax.com. That's our website, and then we issue a lot of press releases to give updates. But yes, I, I do think that that we we're not doing the uh, the relative efficacy and those things. Ours is you know we this is a marathon for us. It's not the sprint, and, and we're putting all the pieces in place.
1: Good, good, I'm very glad to hear that. We appreciate you looking out for the health and safety of Americans because we've lost too many people to ventilators, too many people to myocarditis, pericarditis, and all of these things. So we appreciate your perspective. Mr. Dodd, David Dodd, CEO of Geovax, right here on State of the Nation with today's news
7: talk. When I had my heart event close to four years ago, I was at the gym, thought I deserve a coffee, and thought I'll top up with fuel ordered a coffee, but while I was pumping fuel, I started to get chest pains. Then it got worse and worse and worse, so then I was leaning on the counter thinking, yeah, something's not quite right. So then I went to wait for the coffee, and that's when it really, really hit, and Joy just, you know, mouthed, do you need an ambulance? And I remember nodding. I wasn't even thinking about a heart attack. I just thought, something is seriously wrong with me here. So when the cardiologist came to see me, she informed me that I'd had what they call a Widowmaker Heart Attack. of a shock when someone says you know you nearly died. (laughs) Everybody should be aware of all the symptoms of a heart attack that women can have that aren't typical of the shoulder pain, the right arm pain. I go to the gym, I do yoga, pilates, I swim, I go on bike rides
5: and yet I still had a heart attack. You just don't know it could be you. It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The truth is Parkinson's disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. It affects everyone who supports and helps care for them. Worldwide, over 10 million people are living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement. And with so many places to search for information, it can be difficult to know where to begin. The Parkinson's Foundation has answers. Answers for everyone in the fight. We can help you understand the disease, help you find expert care, give you tips for living a better life, share the latest research, help you find local support, and there's a free helpline you can call. Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's. To learn more, please go to parkinson.org or call 1-800-4PD-INFO. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better Better lives together.
0: Interviews, news, and views. This is State of the Nation. With Steve Hook and Brian McClain, today's News Talk, TNT Radio.
2: All right. Welcome back to State of the Nation, and we're very happy to welcome our next guest, friend of the program, Gerard Folletti, joins us. He, of course, is uh, not only a uh, not only a great uh, friend of the program, but he's also a senior counsel for the Lawfare Project, political strategist, uh, and we welcome him to the show. Gerard, hey, man. It's great to see you again, buddy. How are you? Happy New Year. Yeah, good to have you on the show. Um Let's talk about all things Trump here uh going forward of course today Trump was in court in DC trying to get uh, trying to argue for presidential immunity because uh obviously the lawfare is really ratcheting up against him uh has been for a while now pretty much nonstop I suspect it's only going to get worse as we're 6 days away from the Iowa caucus uh, and if he blows that out uh boy they're going to you can just hear them gnashing their teeth now Uh, first of all, how do you think the, uh, I guess we don't know yet, but how do you suspect the day in court went today for, uh, president Trump and his counsel?
4: Well, in all fairness, it's a little hard to tell. I think that the questions were fair ones. The answers were about what you'd expect, but this is really not an easy issue, but well, perhaps it is easier when you're looking at the specific allegations of what Trump did or didn't do with regard to voter fraud. But the larger issue of presidential immunity is more complicated. And I think that what we will see, what we have seen is a court that understands the nuance and is a little bit reluctant to get involved. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's crazy. I mean, and then, and then we've got the Supreme Court thing happening too uh, with the the Fannie, Fannie Willis thing. I mean, there's it's just like, you know, Steve and I got to the headlines today and it was like, Trump, 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 Trump on like all these different vectors. I mean, Like from the media uh, presentation of this and the timing of it all, like uh, as Steve was saying, do you think this is sort of about just cramming as much of this in before the Iowa caucuses as possible?
4: No, well, I think a lot of this is scheduling. And when you think about it, prosecutors have a fair leeway when it comes to schedules. They're requesting appeal. That's also something that can be scheduled. Uh, so you you do have some control over that. And it is interesting. I think it, it goes into the notion that Democrats or people who don't want to see Trump president seem to think that the more you publicize these criminal cases, the more v- voters will dislike him when we're seeing the exact opposite tending to happen. So whether it's a benefit for Trump legally is yet to be seen, but politically, it seems that he is certainly uh, getting, uh, let's not call it the sympathy vote, but it is, uh, you know, it it is significant support from people who are seeing all these legal actions. And the more they hear, the more unfair they think the system is.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know if I'd call it the sympathy vote or the cynical vote. I mean, people are so fed up with this uh even uh independents not the hardcore progressives you're never going to shake them uh they they relish this stuff but i would wager that we're going to see nothing but january 6th talk dictator talk loss of democracy talk and all this from the very people that are projecting all of it onto trump and i was you know i i just saw jared I, uh, Jared, i just saw rachel maddow basically came out and said well trump's a problem but trump is really Trump is is, is symptomatic of where the Republican Party and where their base is. The problem is Republicans in general. I don't think that's going to work. What do you think? I mean, she's basically calling out half the country as being despotic.
4: Yeah, look, those types of attacks rarely work. And if anything, what we've seen in the last few years with the way voters have gone on issues is it's the Democratic Party that's out of touch and not representative of what a lot of voters want to see. So Matt, I mean, she she is essentially the public political arm, the, the public speaker, uh, MSNBC, we, we know very well that's an arm of the Democratic Party. We expect nothing less than partisanship from what comes from there. Uh, th- there's nothing surprising about that, but it's also a little bit delusional to think that this is is where the american people uh put their emphasis because we're seeing now that the issues driving voters the economy social issues the border uh th- these are all issues that heavily favor republicans and that republicans really have a a significant advantage on
1: yeah. Well, first of all, uh, congratulations to Rachel Madcow. I didn't even know she was still doing news. Uh, I guess uh, that, that's worked out well for her um, <laughs> with a track record like that, though. I mean, it's no wonder people like me don't even know that she's still behind a news desk. Uh, very glad to know that uh, she's still there doing those crazy things and giving us these open goals to talk about. Um and what about Gerard? What do you think about um, what's going on in the Supreme Court today? I saw West, uh, West Virginia attorney Patrick Morrissey um, discussing Trump's Supreme Court ballot fight. And, uh, you know, they talked about why more than half of the states in the union are backing the former president on this. And uh, A.G. Morrissey uh, is filing an amicus brief on behalf of the president. So uh, it And it looks like the insurrection clause is basically going to be the long pole in the tent here. What do you think about that? And the fact also the fact that 27 states support it, that's something that you really just, you know, you don't, you don't hear that much in the mass media.
4: Leaving aside Donald Trump for a moment, even though this is why we're here, essentially, the issue is, you know, who decides what an insurrectionist is? Is it the Congress? Is it president? Is it a state court? And if it is a state court, then you have the inconsistency of 50 different courts coming up with 50, potentially 50 different answers, or at least two answers. And that inconsistency affects the rights of Americans, their First Amendment right, to have a candidate of their choice on a ballot. So the first question here is who even gets to decide this? And when you look at history, when you look at the Constitution, it certainly seems that the answer is not the state. And if And more than that, it's not a board of electors or a secretary of state or an appointed individual. So really what we're seeing now is states standing up for the rights of their citizens to be heard, for the rights of their citizens to vote for the candidate of their choice. And that is the right thing to do. What's more disturbing is the states that aren't joining the amicus brief. They're they're essentially saying that they want to determine, pre select. Who you're allowed to vote for so you this is what they used to do in soviet russia you had a slate of candidates you you know you had a preferred candidate and then you had to have someone else on it you could vote for one of those too you couldn't vote for anyone else in america that's not the way it works in america you get to choose who you vote for and that's the first amendment right and when states come in to say no you can't do this because we're applying a tenuous legal analysis that we may not even have the right to do, that is not something that people get behind. So that's why we're seeing West Virginia take this position and a lot of other states standing up as well for the rights of their citizens. <laughs> Who would have thought that the Democratic Party
2: would follow the old Soviet era uh, polit- political game? Where, uh, you know, it's just shocking. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's shocking that there's gambling going on in uh, in Casablanca. I um, I, Gerard, to your point, it sounds to me like this has really got to be fast tracked by SCOTUS, uh, to kind of put this, to drive this nail down into the coffin once and for all, and to end all of this. I mean, it's great that uh, West Virginia is filing an amicus brief. It's great that other States are signing up on it, but isn't it when the rubber hits the road, isn't it going to be SCOTUS that's going to have to come down and just say enough of this nonsense, let's get on with the election cycle.
4: It is, and that's exactly what SCOTUS seems likely to do. They they set up an expedited briefing schedule. We can expect a decision quickly after uh, after they hear arguments. I think we will know by the time March comes around. It'll be a different kind of March madness that we're looking at, but I think the Supreme Court is cognizant that these need to be resolved by the time we get into full swing in primary season. Uh, and uh, the, the, the interesting thing really is that the states do have a role in amicus briefs because they're raising this issue as to make it a compelling reason for the justices to actually decide the 14th Amendment issue, which I mean to say is the court can punt. The court could say it's not timely. We'll revisit this when there's an actual election, just putting an off to later, just you know creating another situation where we're Bush v. Gore. We've had Election Day and the Supreme Court gets involved. The court could do that. But the more it has amicus briefs saying that there's a problem now, the more likely it is to issue a more substantive ruling. Ah, oh, understood. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and I mean, a lot of
1: people are saying this should be a nine to zero sort of thing, and it should be just over quickly so that we can move forward. And that seems to be the common sense answer, especially since the there, this is leaning on the insurrection clause. And as you pointed out, who gets to define that? Where is Congress in all this? And, you know, uh, the fact that nobody's been um, convicted of insurrection or even charged with it at this point. I mean, that seems like major
4: holes. Do you think it's going to be a nine zero slam dunk? If it's not nine zero, I think it'll be close enough, and by which I mean to say seven or eight zero. I don't think it'll just be conservatives voting for this, and, and for that you have to look at how the Roberts Court has operated, and they have looked. Even even the liberals on the court have looked to the context, the historical context of amendments. You saw that in Second Amendment cases, 14th Amendment as well. That amendment was written in the context of the Civil War when the only insurrection on record were insurrections that were so declared by Congress. President Lincoln declared an insurrection and asked Congress to declare an insurrection, which it did. So when the 14th Amendment was passed, everyone knew what an insurrection was. It was something that Congress had declared. Here, if you look at the context, you can see the Supreme Court saying, okay, well, that's the answer. It's not the states that decide. It's either Congress or potentially a criminal trial, but it's not a state board of electors.
2: uh, Gerard, let me ask you this, because we're talking about, and I think Hesh brings up a great point. It should be nine to nothing. It should be. But I have a funny feeling that Ketanji Jackson Brown and, 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 uh, and maybe Sotomayor, perhaps even Kagan, are gonna write a dissent on this. I hope I'm wrong, I really do, because I think it's just for the good of the country. Uh, it should be a nine no uh, ruling. But some of these people know where their bread is buttered, especially the progressive justices on the court. And I suspect we're gonna get at least one dissent, uh, one uh, justice dissenting. Uh, what is your take on that? What do, you, what do you think?
4: Well, yeah, that that's always possible. And I think you've identified the one that's most likely to dissent. The the issue, though, is the court also is cognizant of its role and is looking at the future and saying, if we are creating, if we are fomenting strife, if we appear to become a political body, then we will lose legitimacy and independence as the Supreme Court. So I think there will be a lot of effort made by all the justices to have at least a consensus opinion. So what I'm expecting is not actually a nine zero. I'm not expecting to see a dissent. I'm expecting to see a majority opinion with several concurring opinions. So they agree that, you know, this is not a proper action, but they will disagree as to the reasons. And some of them may very well say that Donald Trump should be charged with insurrection, or it does appear to be an insurrectionist. It's just that the state hasn't followed its procedure. So I think that's what is more likely than to actually have a dissent. Yeah, splitting the baby, in other words. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, that's very possible. Now, Gerard, let me switch gears real quick here uh, as we wind the program down in the last couple minutes. Uh, we'd love to get your commentary on uh, the bombshell filing accusing Fannie Willis of engaging in a uh, romantic relationship with a t- top Trump case prosecutor. Uh, my goodness, it sounds so, uh, I don't know, tabloidy,
4: but here we are. Uh, your thoughts on this one? Yeah, birds of a feather stick together. I mean, it, it it seems <laughs> given that these sorts of things will happen. Uh, like attracts like. This is human nature, uh, and the you know the allegations certainly seem to have merit. Uh, I I'm not. I mean, I haven't seen them all. I'm not going to comment on whether you know what should happen as a result of that. Uh, but certainly, it's unsurprising that people who have the same ideology find romance uh, in the most unlikely of places.
2: Yeah. And not only do they find romance, they find a big old pile of cash at the end of that uh, progressive rainbow, because apparently this this nondescript basic uh, unknown trial lawyer has got damn near over a half a million dollars so far in funding this. And they're going off to Barbados together. It's just so ugly. It's just so ugly.
4: Money is apparently the best lubricant. It it greases uh, pretty much everything and it uh, it makes possible these romantic endeavors. So I think, you know, not just with this, but with everything else, follow the money. Where's the money coming from? Where's the money going? The romance is tangential, but it's all about the money.
1: Absolutely. That is so often the breadcrumb trail that really explains a lot of the things that seem unexplainable, Gerard. Now, people can follow you at Lawfare Project on social media. Anywhere else you'd like to point people to to keep up with your work, Gerard?
4: You can also look at, at Gerard Falitti. although lately I've been a little too busy to actually update uh, social media. I'm hoping to change that soon. Uh, but uh, I, I also thank you for all the work you guys are doing. And I'm glad that now I, I keep referring people to listen to your show, listen to your broadcast. You're the voice of thank reason, you. You bet. Thank you, Gerard. Yes, and likewise,
1: and we'll keep having you back on. Thanks for being there with us in this endeavor here at State of the Nation. At today's News Talk, stay tuned for Misty Winston coming up next.